recognizes the robot in you. And for any Sasquatches out there that happen to listen to the robot dinner party, you may be hiding, but I know you're out there. I recognize the furry beast inside you, too. Hide-and-seek champion of the world for thousands of years running. Congratulations. If only you could come out of hiding to claim your trophies. But I get it. You can't come out and reveal yourselves, unless it's a grainy, blurry picture but I still feel that you deserve some recognition. Robots and Sasquatches, bosom buddies forever. How's it going, everybody? I'm Ben, your host of the Robot Dinner Party, today and every day. I know it's been a little while since I last dropped a podcast on you about a month ago, but hey, things are busy, it's summertime, and sometimes things just get crazy, you know? I mean, of course, you got work, you got going to the beach, you got whatever other fun things you do every single day, but then there are other things that happen periodically that just get, um, sometimes things just happen, life blows them out of proportion, and, uh, life puts you through a little bit of a crucible, and sometimes you handle those times better than others, but it's nice when you can recognize when those things are tough going, that, uh, there are better things ahead, that you just push through them, have a focused goal in mind, and, uh, you can, you can almost take control of the process a little bit and uh grab the reins and do a little bit of a uh, honing of your yourself and your future and so i'm just thankful man i'm thankful for everyone who's close to me thankful for everything that i've been given in life and the opportunities that i have everything that's ahead and i'm thankful for my listeners you know it's uh not a small thing to go pick out a podcast and spend some of your day listening to. I mean, that's a portion of your life. And I haven't figured out and settled in on a definite format for this podcast yet, you know? But I'd rather just talk about whatever, one-man show shooting the shit, and eventually we'll settle in on that format. And if there are episodes that you like better than others, shoot me a line, robotdinnerparty at gmail.com or at robotdinnerparty. Let me know what you like. Right now I'm kind of excited because I have a hoodie on the way, and I've got a little bit of a problem, an addiction, if you will, to hoodies. I have way too many of them, and I'm constantly ordering them anyway. Well, this particular hoodie is a Sasquatch hoodie. The hoodie itself is a nice dark green. It's got a nice big Sasquatch right in the middle and a circle around it that says Sasquatch Research Team. And even though it hasn't arrived yet, I have a feeling that uh, once it comes here and fall hits, it's going to become one of my autumn favorites. Especially if I sit around the campfire wearing it or take it camping. 
anything outdoorsy or out in the woods. I think I mentioned towards the end of one of these podcasts one day that uh, if I ever saw a Sasquatch, Bigfoot, out in the woods, I'd get a nice crystal clear picture for you. And that's still true. I'm convinced that it is. I've never come across a Sasquatch before. Hey, yo! But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a photography guy. I've got this nice Nikon digital SLR camera. And I like to take some uh, wildlife photography pictures. I've got this nice big zoom lens on it. Right now it's only 200mm, thinking about getting a 300mm, but I'm pretty fast with it. Uh, I was at Kensington Metro Park one day, and I got this incredible picture of a blue jay in flight. And unfortunately its wings were down and not out, but you could see its tail all spread out. And uh, everything that wasn't flapped downward. So basically the entire body, minus the wings that were not in view for this particular picture. You know, everything around the bird out of focus, and the bird itself in crystal clear focus as it was flying. That was pretty awesome. And so I figure, if I ever see a Sasquatch out in the woods, and I have my camera with me, at least with the lens cap off. I'm not flipping open no bullshit flip phone or my iPhone. No, fuck that. I'm flipping that digital SLR right up to my eyeball as fast as I can and snapping off some rapid-fire shots of that Sasquatch. At least one of them. He's going to be in focus, giving me a nice toothy grin. I can't wait if I ever come across a Sasquatch. You know, I probably ruined it since they listened to this podcast. They probably heard, and they'll be like, look, we, we got to avoid that guy, but... Hey, Sasquatch, you're on notice. Although it's also possible, I mean, nobody's ever brought up the fact, what if these Sasquatches have magical properties? What if the reason why they show up grainy and out of focus in these pictures is because 600 years ago, they were hanging out with like a native shaman in the Pacific Northwest, and like, yo, we had a vision, eventually people are going to have this crazy technology. I know it's not going to make sense right now, but you got to understand, and the shaman's like, yeah, yeah, here... Here's this magic medicine here. You take it, and uh, if anybody tries to identify you, it's cool. They can tell the story, you know, you're already part of native legend, but there won't be a written record. And Sasquatch is just like, cool, thanks bro. And now you know the rest of the story. I am Paul Harvey. Good day. Now, if you're someone who's looking to get into photography, take some better photos than what you can get on your phone, let me say first of all, the level of technology we've got on our phones to take photos is pretty incredible already. If you don't really have to zoom in on anything, I mean, you know, you've seen, you've got it on your own phone and you check Instagram, iPhones and Droids, they can take some really good uh, photos and snapshots. But if you're looking to take it to the next level, especially if you need to zoom in on things, then uh, definitely a digital SLR is what you're going to need to get into. And whether it's Nikon or Canon, it doesn't really matter. Um, make sure it's one of those two, because those are the two main brands. If you get up into the professional levels, I mean, sometimes those guys will grab a Sony as a second or third camera, and those have their own unique abilities. And by professional, I mean I'm talking cameras that cost multiple thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. Before you get to that point, there's a huge range of cameras that you can get, although you're, you're going to be spending a minimum of four or $500 to begin with to get a basic starter camera with the detachable lens. And 
that's one thing that you really, really need. I'm not talking about these things that sort of look like digital SLRs, but they have the permanent lens attached to it that just kind of does a, a digital zoom. You, you definitely need the detachable lens system so you can upgrade different lenses and use them for different uh, situations. And I'm not going to get into it too much about, you know, the different models of Canon and Nikon cameras. The Nikon D3400 is their basic one, and that takes really nice photos. And I don't know what exactly the Canon equivalent of that. I do know that the Canon AT-D is a uh, very, very good camera for the cost, even though it is definitely more expensive than the Nikon D3400. That particular Canon model does take better photos than the Nikon one that I mentioned, but there are also lesser models of Canon that are more in line with what the Nikon D3400 is. But like I said, I'm not trying to get too much into the different models. Just to mention that it's, you know, it's got to be a Canon or a Nikon to begin with and make sure you can get those different lenses with it. And one of the things you're going to want right off the bat, as soon as you can drop a little bit of extra dough on it, you know, the, the lens that'll come with it is usually going to be like a 55 or a 35 millimeter to, say, an 80 millimeter lens. What you're going to want to drop a little bit of money on as soon as you can is a lens that goes up to at least about 200 millimeters. For most basic situations where you're going to be taking pictures, that's going to allow you to get in up nice and close and frame it exactly how you want. Now, if you're going to get into wildlife photography, you're going to need an even bigger lens, or if you're doing sports photography. But for, like I said, for most basic situations, that 200 millimeter lens is going to get you pretty far. And then some other things to take into account is obviously you're going to be needing a uh, flash memory uh, card for your camera. You're also going to need a bag to keep your supplies in, a little kit to keep the lens clean. Read up on all the different features that the cameras have beforehand. Some of them have Bluetooth or Wi-Fi connectivity. Some of them don't have that built into them, and you have to buy a little wireless adapter like I have, but... If you end up going with Nikon and using one of those wireless adapters, the one big problem with them that a lot of people haven't figured out what they're supposed to be doing that they're doing wrong is when you try to connect your phone to the wireless connector, you have to put your phone into airplane mode and then turn on the Wi-Fi so that nothing else except that Nikon app is trying to uh, connect to that camera's Wi-Fi connection. Otherwise, there's your email and all sorts of other background data applications in your phone that are trying to get into that camera Wi-Fi that it can't respond to, and it just completely messes it up and won't allow you to get your pictures onto your phone easily. But you hit that airplane mode first, and then you turn on the Wi-Fi connection, then you're going to be able to get those photos very quickly from the camera right onto your phone, and that's pretty great. And then the next thing you're going to need to do as soon as you get that camera is just take as many photos as you can. Get lots of practice in. That way you're going to just by feel learn how to uh, properly frame things and get the best shot, experiment with things. You know, look at some of your favorite photos on Instagram and other places, and you can start to learn some different angles from them as well. And of course, you got to learn to edit your photos well too, because coming straight off the camera, they're not going to look spectacular. 
spectacular. They're going to have that clarity that you want from a digital SLR. But often you're going to need to increase the exposure, the brightness, uh, the saturation, a little bit of the contrast. And of course you don't want to do any of those things too much. You want to make the, the picture look bold and uh, make it pop, but you still want it to look uh, real, not overly processed. And finally, one last thing on digital SLRs. You do want to get a new one instead of a used one or a refurbished one, unless, you know, that's all you can afford. That's cool. But these cameras, they do have a maximum shutter count, which means pretty much that you can click that shutter, make it move a certain number of times, and eventually it's going to wear out. So that's why you're going to want a new one if you can get it. Well, that and, of course, uh, due to the warranty. But I'd also try to avoid some of the big box stores that are going to usually charge full retail price. Uh, look around for some deals. And, of course, eBay always seems to have uh, some new ones at the lowest prices. Just look around at the Buy It Now option. You'll often see some of those digital SLRs at a, a lower price. Get more camera for your buck. How did I even get on that topic? Oh well. Well, in terms of entertainment, I haven't really been going to the movies lately. I haven't seen one since Wonder Woman. Really want to get out there and see the new uh, Spider-Man movie starring Tom Holland. I'm not really hardly interested in sports at all right now. You know, besides going to the beach on the weekends and uh, disconnecting some from social media, which is a great thing, by the way. The more I've been disconnecting from social media, uh, the more it feels like my brain readjusts to the real world and I can focus on other things better. But, yeah, there's not even any, you know, good sports going on right now. I know Wim Wimbledon just finished up, and there were some great shots that Roger Federer had. And, of course, I'll occasionally catch a baseball game on the radio. But the NBA season is over. Um, hockey is over. Football hasn't started yet, and I'm... I've usually got the football bug around now, and I haven't gotten it yet. Um, I mean, part of us just getting older, up there in age, almost over the hill, and realizing that sports matter a little less. But I think more than that, really, it's just, it's the sports dead period. In late summer, nothing going on. And the other thing is, even though I love to talk sports, it's one of the things that, as a guy, you usually can strike up any conversation with someone if you, uh, you know, are knowledgeable about sports. But one of the things that I hate about talking about sports on the radio and the TV nowadays is it's switched away from what happens on the field or on the court, the you know, the different talents of the players and. Uh, what they need to do within the games to win better. And instead, over the last 10 years or so, there's been this huge sports talk shift toward what are the contract situations for the different players and what's the cap space that each team has. And so they talk about, you know, what do teams need to do to get better? It's all about what kind of money they have available to get other players, whose contracts can they shed, whose contracts can they take on. And it's boring as hell. I mean, if I want to talk about contracts, I do that at work. You read about that type of stuff in the Wall Street Journal or Business Insider. That's not the type of shit I want to hear on ESPN or the talk radio shows. Just a big pet peeve of mine, man. But the robots don't care. They don't care about sports. 
Did you hear about the sports team and what they did in relation to the other sports team and the statistics that they accrued? Verily, one team triumphed over the other, and there is more data to process. Yeah, of course. I almost forgot the Game of Thrones just came out again. I haven't seen the first episode yet. I'm going to do that uh, this Friday or Saturday night before the second episode airs. I'm sure I'll have more to say on that when I uh, have another guest on next episode. <laughs> Although it won't be drawn out over an hour or an hour and a half of Game of Thrones talk like it used to happen on the uh, Pop Culture Crunch podcast at one time. And I know not everybody's excited about Game of Thrones. It seems like for the first time ever there's more of a serious backlash against people talking about Game of Thrones on social media lately. Like... The people who don't happen to watch the show are tired of hearing about it from the people who do like to watch the show. Oh well, what you gonna do? Bad boys, what you gonna, what you gonna do when the show bum bum come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, oh, what you gonna do? Oh, what you gonna do when they come for you? Anyway, at work the other day, somebody was talking about how they'd been discussing with someone outside of work whether it's possible to destroy the internet. Which is a pretty interesting topic. I mean, my point of view is if you get two computers that are capable of communicating with each other, those two computers can technically have an internet connection. Although you're not necessarily going to have all of the, like, Google and Yahoo and all the other websites that are out there. But all of those websites that are out there, it's really just a gigantic network of computers communicating with each other. And some computers host some data, some computers host other data, and they have different rules for access, but really it's all just a bunch of communica computers communicating with each other. And so if you're really going to destroy the internet, really you'd have to have some sort of cataclysmic event that uh, brings down all of the, the computers worldwide. I mean, I mean normally that's going to be something that just takes down the entire electric grid, such as a giant solar flare that has the electromagnetic capability of shutting down the world's electronic systems. And, you know, you could always rebuild it, get the infrastructure back up and running again. Um, also, if there was uh, another sort of space cataclysmic event, if there's a star that goes supernova that's close enough to the Earth, and the Earth is in the direct path of the gamma rays, um, those gamma rays, if they're strong enough, uh, could just extinguish, you know, all of life on Earth as we know it. And so that would be another way to take down the Internet. I mean, there are different degrees to which it could happen. I mean, if you've only got personal computers talking to each other from a practical standpoint, then you don't really have the World Wide Web as we know it. But I was a little surprised that my coworkers didn't uh, know that about the solar flares or the uh, supernova gamma rays. Speaking of solar flares, we just had a, a big one come in the Earth's direction. I mean, not big enough to take down the electric grid, but it was big enough where some places saw the northern lights further south than usual. I know in the upper peninsula of Michigan, they got to see them. I think there were a couple other places that were just a little bit further south on that, down into the lower peninsula of Michigan. They got to see them briefly as well, too. But man, I was really hoping they would come as far south as I am. And I know a lot of other people were too. But that's okay. Coming in August are the Pleiades meteor showers. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but who cares? And uh, 
locally in Holland, Michigan, they're going to be having a beach gathering where people uh, cook up s'mores while watching those meteor showers, and that ought to be pretty fun. I'm pretty excited about that. Also excited about the fact that I discovered there's a local observatory that has one day a month where the local astronomical society is able to access it and look through that telescope and use the grounds for using your own telescopes and um, I'm definitely going to be taking advantage of that and it's something that maybe you should look out for in your area too. Now switch back to robots a little bit here. I was listening to either Radio Lab or the Hidden Brain podcast the other day and this woman who's a robot researcher was on talking about these robotic dinosaurs that they had created and they did this study where they had a bunch of people take these robotic dinosaurs and treat them as if they were a real living thing and have like a fashion show and play with them and other just fun things to do with a robotic dinosaur and then at a certain point they asked them to destroy the robotic dinosaurs and nobody would do it and so then they had to start tricking people in a sense, to try to get them to destroy them. First they said something like, well, they were going to destroy the robots at the end anyway, so they needed to take this hammer to the robot and kill it. People still wouldn't do it. And so eventually they got to the point where they said, look, someone has to destroy one of these dinosaur robots, or else we're going to destroy all of them for you. And then, of course, somebody gave up their dinosaur robot in order to save the rest of them. And now I'm not sure whether these people who were part of the study thought that they were going to be able to keep the robot at the end. I mean, I guess if they had that many robots, you would kind of assume uh, that you might have the possibility of being able to keep it. I mean, the conclusion that the researchers drew was that when you have a lifelike robot, or at least one that displays uh, similar features to things that people and other living things do, then you start to form an emotional attachment to it and view it as an actual living creature. And so that's why they thought that people wouldn't destroy these robots. From my perspective, it could be any one of a number of different scenarios. The first of which is, yeah, if I was in that situation, I thought that there was a possibility that I could keep that robot at the end if it wasn't destroyed. Hell no, I wouldn't be destroying that robot. I'd want to keep that for myself. And then another possibility is if I'm sitting there looking at a robot that's shaped like a dinosaur and is moving around and making noises, even if I don't get to keep it, I recognize the amount of work that went into creating that, and it's just senseless to take a hammer to it and destroy it. I mean, even if somebody asks you to, that's like hugely wasteful on a number of different levels. And then, of course, there's the fact that there had to have been at least a few of those people who are able to figure out in their own minds what these researchers are looking for, the type of behavior uh, they're trying to study or trying to prove based on their theory. I mean, there are a lot of people who, if they're part of a psychological study, they try to figure out what the researchers are going after. I sure took great joy in... Um, participating in a couple psychological studies in undergrad for credit and trying to figure out what it was they were going after and giving a contrarian a response to what they were looking for. And I know to 
a certain extent, they try to build some of that into their, um, you know, data error rates. But there's got to still be more people who do that than what the typical data assumptions are. And moreover, on top of that, if they start switching their language up like they did in this study to being more and more uh, manipulative about how to get people to destroy the robots, then of course you're starting to think there's a reason why they're trying to get you to do this to either prove or disprove some theory that they have. And you're looking at this beautiful piece of craftsmanship and you just don't want to do it. So I don't think you really can completely draw that conclusion that the more lifelike a robot behaves, the less that you want to kill it. On the other hand, they had mentioned the fact that some soldiers uh, in foreign wars who have had uh, companion robots that help get rid of those um, those crude explosive devices over there, I mean, they develop a bit of an emotional attachment with those robots because they're helping to protect their lives, and so they end up treating the robot sort of like we do with dogs and cats, almost as if it's part of their family or their soldier unit. And apparently people get more comfortable with uh, robots that help people if they give that robot a name like Betsy first, which I can see. It's just the contrived scenarios that I just have such a visceral reaction to opposing their basic assumptions when they haven't explored all of the different possibilities for why people behaved a certain way. And thinking about this kind of brought up another uh, point of view in my mind as well, where I started picturing what would a sentient robot actually feel like on the inside, and then picturing, you know, everything that we think and feel as humans in our internal lives, and just switch that to being a robot. Like, just picture yourself being a robot, but with the same thoughts and feelings that you have right now, if you're able to empathize with that position at all, then at least I start to think, well, obviously we have to be wary of the dangers of sentient robot intelligence, but some people say that one thing that mitigates that is our ability to control artificial intelligence and either just pull the plug on the artificial intelligence or recode it a certain way so that it does exactly what we want. But man, if it really is true intelligence, the type of way that we're self-aware, I mean, then I start to think of whether that's even ethical to create a being like that in the first place, because no being that thinks and feels the way we do should really be subject to being forcefully terminated by anybody, whether it's another robot or a human being. And of course, humans are going to be able to want to control everything about that artificial intelligence, whether it's terminating its existence or drastically altering it, um, making it perform the functions that humans want it to. Just picture your own consciousness in that situation. It starts to, you know, feel like slavery and murder, and so then you just have to wonder, is it even ethical to create that sort of artificial intelligence in the first place? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot more to think about in that regard, but it just got me thinking a little bit. Surface level, just like Ridley Scott movies. <laughs> but uh, I know I've kept things really nerdy on today's podcast. That's okay. I'm a bit like Tyrion Lannister, except instead of I drink and I know things, I really don't drink and I know things, but I'd rather 
know a lot of things and not know anything, that's for sure. I think I was talking so much earlier about photography stuff because I figured out that if I won the lottery, what I would really want to do for a living is just travel the world taking all sorts of different wildlife photos with the goal of getting published in National Geographic, you know, submit for some photography awards, and also write about the places I go and the, the animals that I see so that I can help kind of raise awareness about uh, the different animals around the world. Oh, and if the sound quality all of a sudden dropped off, and I know it did, it's because it switched mics and locations. Eh, I just wanted to get this wrapped up. But as I took a break in the middle of recording earlier, on the way home, I was listening to the sports talk radio here, and man, the amount of people drinking the Detroit Lions Kool-Aid is ridiculous. People seriously think that team is on the right track to win more games than last year, possibly. I mean, it's always possible, right? You never know what happens season over season. But last year, so many of the Lions' wins came within the last minute of the game after making a big comeback. I think that the Lions are going to win around three games this year. They'll be lucky if they win more, but like I said, you never know. Just know that I'm never going to drink the Detroit Lions Kool-Aid. But there are just a few more things I wanted to get in here briefly. Oh, for dinner, I had Jets Pizza. And I'll loop back to Jets in just a second here, but if you know Little Caesars Pizza, and if you've ever had it, it's pretty, it's really cheap and cardboardy. I mean, you know, six bucks gets you a pizza. But way back in the 80s, Little Caesars was much better than it is today. And if you're also someone who has a Jets Pizza in your area and can try that, the way Jets Pizza, their deep dish is right now, is very, very similar to what Little Caesars used to be. It's a shame that they're not anymore, but man... If you're a struggling college student, that $6 pizza can hit the spot sometimes. I also just watched a trailer for a movie that came out in 2016 that I had no idea even existed. It's called The Final Master. It's a kung fu movie about a Wing Chun master in the 1930s. He's the last of uh, his particular style. It looks really good. I couldn't find it on Netflix or Amazon Prime, so I'm going to have to see if I can get my hands on a physical copy of that DVD. Again, this, The Final Master, looks really good. And I may have mentioned before that I've gotten into Kung Fu personally somewhat. Uh, this past weekend, we celebrated Sifu Day. Not Seafood, Sifu, uh, the Master Day to celebrate uh, my teacher and his teacher before that. That was a nice uh, solemn day. Also some good food and a nice gathering of great people and just celebrate uh, the art form and each other. That was a really awesome time. I'd like to get into even more of the particular kind of kung fu that I do, the northern Shaolin praying mantis style. I need to sign up for another class per week and uh, get even more practice in per day. I tell you what, man, I'm a kung fu panda, but it is not nearly as easy as the panda in the movies makes it look. You know, over the years, I've lifted weights on and off. I've run and walked on and off and tried other things for exercise and doing this kung fu really makes me realize that it is much more difficult than i had it in my mind to get into truly good shape so i'm going to keep working at that try to get better and increase my abilities you know it's just something that makes me feel good something i love to do and when you find something like that that you truly enjoy doing and you want to keep going and learn more that's a special thing, and you really gotta chase after it and uh, strike while the iron's hot, I guess. 
And yeah, I'm going to go practice a couple forms now. Even though it's really hot out, I'm, I can't believe how far into 2017 we are already. I hope everyone else is enjoying their summer. I'm going to try to keep the podcast coming periodically. If you like the podcast, head over to iTunes and rate it kindly, please. You also might want to check out the other podcasts on the New Pod World Order Network. If you'd like to drop me a line, hit me up at robotdinnerparty at gmail.com. Or on Twitter at robotdinnerpod. For the Robot Dinner Party Podcast, I'm your host, Ben. Thanks for listening, and keep those circuits lubed.